I, I, I got to get out of here. I got to find a way out of this town, and I got to do it quick. They took Jesus. He's gone. And I don't, and I. No, 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 I wasn't. No, I wasn't. You, no, you got me mistaken for somebody else. This wasn't me. I don't know that man. I told you I don't know him. No, 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 no. I've got to find a way out here. They're after me. And I don't know why. Uh, can, can, I, can I help you, sir? Can I help you, sir? I failed him. And I did. Lord, what have I done? What have I done? Bibles, I want you to open up to Mark's Gospel, the 14th chapter. Mark 14, we continue our study this morning. Today's message, I just want to give you a heads up, may be a little bit difficult uh, for you and for I, for me, uh, because all of us at some point in our journey of our Christian faith, have denied Jesus. Maybe even this day, maybe even this week, we have denied Jesus. And you think about the life of Peter. I mean, here is a young guy who was one of the first followers, the first disciples of Jesus. If you've been tracking along in the book of Mark, and I hope that you have, there was a reason for us to go through the book of Mark together, then you will remember that Peter is the one who saw a roof ripped open, a man lowered down, healed and walked out on his own two feet. Peter was the guy who was fishing, who was in the boat, and Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. And Peter was like, who are you to tell me? what? To... I'm a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. And then he threw his nets on the other side, and so many fish came into the nets that they began to rip. Peter was the one who saw all these things. And knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet at the very end, as Jesus gets closer and closer to his fulfilling his destiny and dying for humanity, you and I on the cross, he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. This morning, right after our worship time together, hopefully you will be going to a small group and you're going to be looking at some of the other characters in Mark 14, which interestingly enough is one of the longest chapters. I think it may even be the longest chapter in Mark. And there's some other characters who are responding to these last few days of Jesus' life. Mary is one of those characters that you'll see. Uh, Judas is one of those characters that you'll see. And we know that Jesus was that Judas was more than a... Denier, Judas actually handed Jesus over to be crucified. But this morning, we're going to look and focus our attention on Peter. Peter, uh, a person who, when Jesus said at the Last Supper, one of you will deny me. And Peter was like, well, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Earlier in Mark chapter 14, I think it's around verse 19. And when Peter is challenged to think, maybe I am one that will deny you, Jesus... 
He speaks up and he tells Jesus, I'll never, I'll never fall away from you, Lord. I'll never fall away from you, Lord. And yet, Jesus predicted Peter's denial in Mark 14, 30. A little bit later in the story, in this chapter, we know that Peter goes with uh, the other disciples to, to, with Jesus to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that Jesus says, well, you just stay here and pray, and I'm going to go a little further in and spend some time with the Father. And he comes out and finds them sleeping. So just to kind of set the stage, this is the person that we're talking about that denies Jesus. One who saw him work many miracles, one who saw him right there in the garden go to pray to the Father, and yet he denies Jesus. He stands up in Jesus' defense, though. If you remember, when they come to arrest Jesus and they begin to carry him off, it is Peter who pulls out his sword. We know this not from Mark's gospel, but from John's account. And by the way, this story is in every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know from John's account that Peter's the one who pulls out the sword and cuts off the ear of the soldier. And we also know that John tells us that Jesus actually reached down, or Luke's Gospel rather, tells us that Jesus reaches down and puts the ear back on. Peter saw all these things. And yet Peter is the one who denies Jesus. So it's really, really easy for me to read this story and go, Peter, are you, how, how, could you, how could you do this? Because you saw Jesus do all these things and yet you denied him three times. Not just once, but three times. And then I have to look at my own life and go, whoa, that's me. That's me. If you have your Bible and you want to hold your finger in Mark chapter 14, I want you to actually flip back this morning to the book of Psalms for just a second. Because I think when I was reading this over the last few weeks, there is a progression here in the life of Peter that I think we're going to see this morning that actually David in Psalm 1 actually outlines for us. And I want to give you this morning three easy steps to deny Jesus. That's kind of your goal, your pursuit in life. I'll give you three easy steps that you can be a denier of Jesus just like Peter. But let's look at Psalm 1 and see what David has to say just Really quickly, just in the first verse, David says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Think about that as we go through and we look at this account of Peter, and we're going to pick up at verse 66 in Mark chapter 14. As we see these three easy steps to denying Jesus that probably have happened in your life, and I know they've happened in my life. So verse 66, Mark chapter 14. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and she said, You too were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went on out to the porch. And the maid saw him again once more, saying to him and to the bystanders, Hey, this is one of them. But again, he was denying it. And after a little while, the bystanders were saying again to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear. Howard left that part out. I do not know this man you are talking about. 
And immediately a cock crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word that we know is alive and active. I pray this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit that it would become alive to us, to each one of us in this place. And that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, if you go back a little bit before these verses that we looked at, you'll discover something back at verse 53. Um, Jesus has been led away to the high priest. Now, the way, the way we read this account, this story in Mark, as Mark concludes this story, he kind of does it as a flashback in Mark's gospel, the way this is recorded. We know that this didn't happen as Jesus was actually beaten, but this account of Peter denying, when you read the other Gospels, his denial happened when Jesus was on trial. So we see this in verse 53, that Jesus was led away to the high priest and the chief priests and the elders. And here's the first point, verse 54, Peter had followed him at a distance. Three easy steps to denying Jesus. Here's the first one, follow him at a distance. Friends, I know that over the last 14, 15 months now, we've been in COVID, and it's been very difficult, perhaps for you, it has been for me, to follow after Jesus in this crazy world that we live in. But I want to encourage you that if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to overcome those temptations that seem to come your way, nothing beats following Jesus closely and intimately. And for those of you that are watching on the live stream and you've yet to come back, but you are going to the big box stores and you're hanging out on the restaurants, why are you forsaking the assembling of gathering together with Christians? Now, some of us have health concerns and I understand that, but we will always fall short of what God wants us to do when we follow him from a distance. Now, I don't know why Peter chose to follow him from a distance. Maybe he was starting to think, okay, this... If this is the Messiah and what Jesus has told us is true, then I'm not sure I'm signing up for the suffering that's to come. I don't know if that's why he followed from a distance or not. Maybe he was scared. Maybe he was fearful. Maybe he was ashamed of his own sin as he realized that God in the flesh, Jesus on the earth, that was going to give himself for humanity, maybe he was ashamed to think, wow, I'm not worthy of the love of Jesus, and he began to distance himself. I'm not sure why he distanced himself away from Jesus. But I do know this, and David says this also in the Psalms, that if you want to fall, fall away from Christ, if you want to find yourself denying Jesus, the first easy step is to follow him from a distance. You hear a lot of pastors say, and rightly so, come to church, come to church, come to church. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, Coming to church won't necessarily make you more holy, but coming to church and being close to Jesus will keep you in community and in communion with Him. And forsaking the assembling of gathering together will keep you out. Some people may say, well, I can follow Jesus on my own. I don't need community. You need to read the whole Bible and find out that's not the case. Of Jesus Himself. God in the flesh needed the power of community. How much more do I need the power of community? I need you. You need me. You hear me say that a lot. So Peter's first problem was that he followed Jesus from a distance. And when we distance ourselves from Jesus, it gets very hard to take a proper stand 
in a critical time. Because we don't have the support of family, community. We don't have the connection with Jesus. It's very easy to be led astray. So Peter followed him from a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. I mean, here he is sitting with the very accusers of Jesus. So he followed from a distance. And then number two, you'll see there, he found company in the ungodly. Verse 54, Peter followed him right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with these officers. He found fellowship and warmth in the company of the ungodly. I remember telling my sister, like I've shared this story before, when we were riding to Dorman High School, her freshman year, my senior year at Dorman High School, now Walmart over there in uh, Spartanburg. My, how times change. Walmart High. And I remember on the way down that two-lane road, 215, all the way from Roebuck at the time, she, she asked me, which rarely would she ask my opinion about anything, but she just said to me on the way to school that day, her first day of her freshman year, she said, okay, big brother, do you have any advice for this incoming freshman? And I thought, wow. As I was riding in that 68 Mustang convertible, oh, just, just hang on a minute, let me have a moment. Okay, it's... It's gone now. So is the car. It's gone. She said to me, she said, give me some advice. What's your word of wisdom that you can give to me as I step on foot my very first day as a high school student? What's your word of wisdom? And so I thought, wow, what could I tell her? What could I tell her? I didn't realize how profound uh, what I shared with her was at the time because I was just thinking about my own life. But I just said, be careful the very first people that you talk to. Because the people that you start talking to and walking around with will be the people that you stand around with, will be the people that you sit down with. And if you choose the wrong people, it will take you in the wrong direction. That's true for you and I. It doesn't get any different just because we get older. The people that we gather around us, it's we allow to speak into our lives. The things that we allow to speak into our lives. The media that we allow into our lives. The music. Everything that pours into us will direct our path in one way or another. And here we have Peter finding himself sitting with the servants and warming himself at the fire. Finding fellowship with these ungodly people. You say, Jack, how do you know that? The officers that we read about in Mark chapter 14 verse 65... Where it says, some began to spit at him, to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists. And to say to him, to Jesus, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. They were slapping Jesus. These same officers are the same servants that Peter is sitting with. The same one. Because the ancient Greek word that's used for those groups, as Mark outlines this for us, it's the same group of people. It blows me away that Peter could sit down and associate himself with the same people who are going to smack Jesus in the face and spit in his face. You say, how does that happen? It happens when you follow Jesus from a distance. Because you let your guard down. And the next thing you know, you're doing things and you're saying things and you're hanging out with people that you never thought you would hang out with. See, sin is like that. Sin is a very slow progression. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a murderer. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's a slow, steady progression, which is what David tells us in Psalm chapter 1. I don't know if you've done this experiment before when 
When I was in my youth group, we had this experiment where we had a pot of water on a little gas stove. And our student pastor at the time brought out a frog. And he dropped it in this pot of water. And the pot of water was kind of room temperature. And every once in a while, the frog would just sit there. I mean, he was doing the backstroke or whatever. I mean, he was just hanging out there in the pot of water. And gradually he would turn the temperature up. And the frog would just kind of stay in there. And he walked by a little more, turn the temperature up, turn the temperature up, turn the temperature up. Say, what happened? Some of you know where I'm going. What happened was the frog got bowled to death. But it's interesting because he had another pot that was steaming hot and he could take that same frog and throw it into the pot and it would leap out before, it was almost like Jesus, a Jesus frog because it almost walked on water. The frog would hit the top of that hot water and it was like, boom, I'm out of here. But if you gradually turn the heat up, the frog would wind up being bowled to death. What's the point, Jack? Why are you teaching biology? I'm not. I failed that class. The point is this. Sin and the progression of denying Jesus is the same way. None of us in here who love God would wake up one morning and go, Okay, today I'm going to deny Jesus. That's not our heart's desire. But slowly... The enemy can cause us to deny Jesus one step at a time. We start to follow him at a distance. We start to show up for church once a month. We start to hang out with our Christian influence and our body of Christ and our Christian friends. We start to hang out with them less and we start to slide in the other direction. And before we know it, we're saying things and we're doing things. I can give you personal testimonies all day long. There's things I've done in my life that I look at and go, How in the world? Jack Eason, how in the world did you get there? Because in your right mind, you would never do it. And you know what the point is? You aren't in your right mind when you deny Jesus, and neither was Peter. The officers that he, were, he was hanging out with and associating himself with were the same men who had beat up Jesus. And they beat him just because someone else said he's a wicked man. So if you want to deny Jesus... First easy step is to follow him from a distance. Second step is find company in the ungodly. But then there's a third step, and that is to hide who you are with language. And so Peter is asked three separate times, Hey, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you, weren't you with Jesus? And that? No, 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 I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. It's interesting that a hostile man of authority interrogated Jesus, and Jesus was able to handle that kind of interrogation. But here we have Peter with just a little servant girl, and she was enough to make Peter deny the Savior of the world, the Messiah of the world. So he hid who he was with his language. He denies the charge. The first thing he says in verse 68 is, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. If you study the language there, actually behind that verse, he's actually using like a legal defense. So people were charged or accused of something, a lot of times that would be their first defense. I know not what you're talking about. And yet all this evil sprung from the fear of man, which makes me ask myself this question today. How many denials of Christ and His truth in my own life, have sprung from the fear of what somebody else thinks. Not so much as I've gotten older, 
But young people, I look back at my life when I was a middle schooler and a high schooler and even a college student to some degree, and it was much easier because I was more concerned with what people thought than I was with what God thought. And there's a lot the Scripture has to say about that. It talks about being a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. And yet, this evil that came, perhaps came because Peter was fearful of man. So thinking that it would help distance himself a little bit more from Jesus, not only following from a distance, not only finding company now with this ungodly group of people, but he decides, okay, I'm going to perhaps even use the language of the crowd so that I can identify with them. We don't know what he said. The Bible says he was cursing. So it wasn't just him saying, I appreciate Howard giving us the PG version. We don't know what he said actually in the language of that day, but according to the Bible, he was cursing. So you fill in your own expletive that you want to fill in. It's interesting that sometimes people in the media, especially things you watch, movies, television, people will use an expletive to try to think that me, that puts even more reinforcement on their words. And they do that because their confession alone is not enough, so they have to add curse words to it to get somebody's attention. Happens a lot in 2021, doesn't it? And so Peter begins to curse and to swear. and Say, I don't know this man. I don't know who you're talking about. He gets angry and upset. So if you want to deny Jesus, you can often hide who you are with your language. I remember in high school, again, I'll use myself as the guinea pig in the example this morning. I did that a lot. Because if you can speak the language of the crowd, then you can morph into being part of that crowd and a part of that group. And then you can become accepted. You say, that's why gangs and all those kinds of things are very popular. And that's why they have a great attraction for young people. Because it's easy to start speaking that kind of language. And then, oh, you can speak my language. Now you're accepted. You're one of the cool kids. It's kind of what Peter is doing. Which is kind of scary after all that he had seen. He began to curse and to swear and to walk away with Jesus. So those are the steps to denying Jesus. But the good news is, and we know this because we have Scripture and even Peter's own letters that he wrote to us in the New Testament, we know that something must have happened. There must have been some forgiveness. There must have been some restoration. Something must have happened. So before we talk about that, let me just give you some good news. For any of us in this room that would say we have denied Jesus, there's good news. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. And we see it poured out on Peter's life. Even as the cock began to crow, he remembered the words of Jesus. And what does the scripture tell us? Verse 72, he began to weep. Here's the first step to restoration. And these are perhaps a little more difficult. It's easy to slide away and to be a part of the group. It's easy to succumb to peer pressure. My grandfather used to say this, if you've ever seen a fish swimming upstream, those are the ones that are doing the hard work. The rest of them just kind of just kind of relax and you'll get caught up with the current, right? So these are a little more difficult because you're pushing against culture. And the first one is what he did in verse 72 is he began to weep. He began to weep as he realized what he had done. He 
was called to mind the words that Jesus had said to him, but he remembered it too late. Unfortunately, it was after he had sinned. I don't know about you, but there's many times in my life that I sin and I hear the, hear the voice of the Lord in my head and in my heart, and I'm going, oh, I just wish I'd heard that on this side of the sin. But nonetheless, Peter heard it. He heard the voice of the Lord in his heart and in his spirit, and all he could do was weep. I don't really think it was the cock crowing, Warren Wearsby says this, that convicted Peter. It was remembering the words of Jesus. You know what that tells me? It tells me a couple of things. I need to know the word of God. I think the reason so many Christians in culture aren't weeping over their own sin and the sin of our country, which we've talked about repeatedly over these last few weeks about humbling ourselves before the Lord, calling on Him, turning from our wicked ways, and He'll hear from heaven. I think a lot of times maybe we don't weep for that sin or weep for our own sin because we've forgotten what the Word of God says about sin. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Peter's denial is just one of the things that put Jesus on the cross. And there's significant contrast, and hopefully you'll discuss this a little bit in your small groups this morning, from someone like Judas... And what Judas did, and what Peter did, both of them denied Jesus in one way or another. But it's interesting, we read here that Peter is going to be restored. He weeps. He realizes the weight of his sin. Can I ask you a question today? And as I ask you and point one finger, I know I have many pointing back at me. When is the last time you wept over your sin? For me, it's been a while. Until the last few months, God's just reminded me. Not in a condemning way, but he's reminded me my desperate need for grace. As Joey said a little while ago, I can't do it by myself. The fact that Jesus came and he was crucified on the cross was because I couldn't do it myself. I needed the amazing grace of Jesus. And so when I think about that, I don't only just weep for my sin. I weep in gratitude that there was a Savior who gave everything so I could have a relationship with Him. Because my sin kept me away. It broke my relationship and my fellowship before I knew Him. God, in His infinite wisdom and His mercy, gave the most precious gift He could ever give. And that was the gift of His Son. The grace of Jesus. Amazing grace. I want to challenge you this week. As we get closer and closer to Easter. You might need to find a prayer closet at your house. You may need to go in your living room when everybody else is asleep. If you're like me, sometimes I need to get in the car and just so I can find a quiet spot. Sit in the garage. Sit in your driveway. Wherever. And thank God for His amazing grace. That the blood of Jesus covers every sin. And the awesome thing about God's grace and His blood is, it covers every sin. Past, present, and future. Which is amazing. That God knows me well enough to know that I'm going to sin tomorrow and next week and the next week. And His blood on the cross has covered all that. It's worth weeping for. To be remembered of our sin and to be remembered of the great grace of Jesus. The other thing that we discover in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. If you want to flip over there, you can. Is that 
Peter took a second step and Jesus reached out and took a second step to him also. Because after his resurrection, we know that Peter had a private meeting with Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and talks to Jesus and goes before Jesus and he has this moment of confession. And you and I have to do the same thing when we are fallen and we fall into our sin. In verse 32 of, Mark, of Luke chapter 24, it says, And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and he appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of their bread. We know that Jesus had this meeting, this confession time, where he met with Peter. And you and I have to do the same thing. We have to weep over our sin. We have to meet with Jesus in private. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to wipe the slate clean. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't even really deserve to be here. Pastor Jack, if you knew what I had done in my life, wow, you'd probably just uh, give me the separate entrance, the separate section. Probably wouldn't even want me in this place. Uh, you're, you're sadly mistaken. This is exactly where you need to be. Because all of us need the cleansing power of Jesus that comes when we confess our sins to Him. The third thing that we have to do is we have to follow the process and Peter did that. He had this private meeting with Jesus. In John's Gospel, we know that Jesus publicly restored him in front of a crowd. And even though Judas ended up as this apostate, this one who turned away and took his life, ultimately we know Peter was a, was a backslider who suffered this spiritual decline. But after the experience, he turned back to Jesus and he was restored to Jesus. And here's the encouragement for you and I today. If we've denied Jesus and we come back to Jesus and confess our sins to Jesus, Jesus will restore us into relationship with him. If you're waiting on Jesus to restore you, he's standing there like he was on the cross with his arms wide open. He's waiting on you this morning. He's waiting on me. You don't have to wait on him. To be restored. That's what grace is all about. Restoration. And bringing us into fellowship with Jesus. So it's interesting. One of the notes, as you know, I write down things as I'm reading. It's interesting that when Peter was being challenged by those that were around him, and he denied Jesus. When you study this passage, some of the things that you'll learn is, uh, like I mentioned, the first denial that he gave was more of a legal denial. Some scholars say it was almost a confession of his identity and who he identified with. That he was basically giving a false confession. Matter of fact, if you back up a few verses in the Mark, look at verse 56. 55, let's start with 55. Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death and they were not finding any for many were giving false testimony against him now don't miss this this is interesting and yet their testimony was not consistent 
And some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, Oh, well, we've heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I'll build another made without hands. And not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. And the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? Their confession was false confession. And then we get all the way into the next part of the story where Peter has an opportunity to give a true confession. Much like he did, if you remember, earlier in Mark, where Jesus asked the disciples, and Peter was in that group, when Jesus pointed to the crowd and he said, who do those people say that I am? You remember that? And many of them chimed in and said, well, Jesus, some of them say you're John the Baptist, and some of them say you're Jeremiah, and some of them say you're this, and you're you're Elijah. And Jesus asked the disciples at that point, but who do you say that I am? And in that context, which happened before this story, who said, you are the Christ? Do you remember who said that? Peter! A true confession, and now here we have in this chapter a false confession. So I wrote in my notes, what is your confession, Jack Eason? See, it's easy when you're hanging out with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you're seeing him work all these miracles, and him to walk over and to put his arm around you, Say, so who do those people say that I am? And for you to go, oh, they say this and they say... And then for him to look at you and say, but who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ. It's easy in that context to make that kind of confession. But where the rubber meets the road is when the crowd starts pressing in and they start coming to you and challenging your belief. Oh, you're one of those Christians. You're one of those folks that goes over there at a crossroads. You're one of those people that believes in biblical sexuality. You're one of those people that believes... "Eh." So I hope today as you think about Peter's denial... And I hope for me today, as I think about Peter's denial, that I will give a true confession of who Jesus is. It's easy in this place. I thought about how to end our service today, and I think it was Adrian that was here a few weeks ago, Adrian Dupree, who ended his chapter, Mark chapter 6, and I think several of us stood up and said, Jesus is the Christ, which I am grateful for. Friends, that's easy to do in this room. What the world needs to see out there is those of us when we're tempted and temptation and popular cultural things come along that the world tries to push us in that direction. The world needs to see us stand up and go, wait, wait, wait just a minute. That is not the way of Jesus. And we need to have a true confession. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I pray... This morning, in the quietness of this moment, as we think about the life of Peter, you would look at our hearts today. I don't know, God, what you're saying to these friends in this room or what you'd be challenging us to do, but as we think about our need of you, maybe there's some that are in this place this morning that would say, Wow, I have been down that slippery slope of denial. It doesn't mean, God, that they've totally walked away from you. It could be in one area of their life where they've just denied your Holy Spirit's influence. They've kind of shut the door of that room of their heart. 
And in a sense, they've denied you. Maybe they're listening to the voices of ungodly people like Peter was. <coughs> Maybe they've sat down and gotten comfortable. God, I've been there before. I know, I know what that's like. And you look around just like the prodigal son and you go, what in the world happened? How did I wind up here? And it was just a slow, steady fade as we slipped away from doing the things that God called us to do. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room today that would just be honest enough with you to say, that's me. God, that you would help them, whether it's physically or whether it's in their heart, to be weeping and sorrowful over their sin. And to be weeping and grateful for the amazing, awesome grace of Jesus. Lord, your desire for every person in this place, even this preacher, is that we would be restored in right relationship with you. There's no number of prayers that we have to pray. There's no hours of community service that we have to do. Your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we turn from our ways, when we repent, when we call on you. So I pray, Lord, this morning, if there's anyone in this place that needs to weep before you, to call out to you, that just like with Peter, you would, you would meet them right now in this moment, in this private moment, right now in the seat where they are, that your Holy Spirit would speak and restore them in the right, right relationship with you. I want to give you just a few moments right there in your seat just to ask God through his Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. For those of you that are watching online this morning, if you need somebody to pray with, I pray you just comment in the comments and let us know. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning, church? Father, in the quietness of this moment, I pray that you would have your way. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the amazing grace of Jesus. Washes us white as snow and cleanses us from every sin. Grace undeserved. Freely given because of your love for us. Indescribable. Indescribable, the matchless grace of Jesus. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I don't know what God would lead you to do this morning, but if you need to talk to someone, I'll be here. Uh, we've got some chairs down here and on the side. If you want to just grab one and kneel and pray. Uh, this Tuesday morning, last Tuesday we had two people. This Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock, to however long people are here, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. So if you want to come and do that this morning, you can come. You can come Tuesday if you like. But would you stand as we sing a song of invitation and respond as God leads you today?